Whatever that powwow was about, I don't think it turned out too well. They look sore. Maybe Loveless cut off their food supply. How long do you think it'll be before Loveless turns his twisted little mind to us? Right now, Mr. Gordon. In fact, you and Mr. West are never out of my mind. Untie them. Welcome to Authorized Crumbs, a very emotionally manipulative series in which we keep promising you something's coming. There's going to be another season, but I don't know. At this point, it's been, what, 11 weeks, and you've been getting junior novelizations on children's movies, lots of episodes where we go, oh, you know, there's probably not much to this movie or not much to this book, and then it turns out there isn't. Is there ever is there ever a season coming? Much like a married person that you may or may not be dating, we keep telling you, we're going to leave the crumbs. We really love you. We're going to end up with you. But do we ever do it? No, we just say that long enough for you to start the cycle all over again. But in all seriousness, Friday the 13th starts next week. <laughs> We are your hosts, a loose coalition of gaslighting enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. And I'm Hannah Blackman. <laughs> Hannah, tell the people what we are discussing today. Today we are discussing the 1960s TV show version of The Wild Wild West because we covered that movie and then thought, what if we watched a couple episodes of that show? So we did. And be- because we are desperate to generate content that does not involve reading an entire novel. Yeah, this took me... It should have been two hours. It turned into three. Yeah, I, I kind of turned it. I kind of turned it into three for you. What you you had watched an entire episode, and I was like, Hannah, could you please take detailed notes on the episodes? And you were like, I guess. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, after well, let's introduce Max. Let's get Max in here. <laughs> Our guest today, you know him if you've ever listened to Authorized before, uh, an actor, a podcast host. Uh, a, a true multi-hyphenate. Oh. Max Fitzpatrick, how are you doing? I'm back. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. Um, no, I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, you know, uh, does any does any of this also have anything to do with the timing of Will Smith's actions at the Academy Awards? Do we do we mention that at all? Um, he was Jim West. I don't. I don't know to what you refer. <laughs> let's just let's just move on then. I, I don't know. Um, no, no, it's a it's it's sort of an unfortunate timing. Yeah. That we, I, I I would say maybe yeah. we were even discussing this idea a few days before the Oscars, right? And then you know stuck to our guns. You know, and if so. there's one thing that Robert Conrad would want yeah. us to know, it's that Will Smith is not Jim West. Right. Right. <clears throat> Or the cop from Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Hannah, I thought you were going to say that 
at least according to the characterization in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> that if there's one thing Robert Conrad would want us to know, it's that hitting people is okay. <laughs> hitting people is okay, and don't forget he did all of his own <laughs> stunts all the time. Like, people talk about the, what, the Bruce Lee stuff in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nobody, I, well, nobody read that, <laughs> so that's probably why. Nobody talks about the fact that there's just paragraphs of Cliff Booth being like, Robert Conrad insists on doing his own stunts on the Wild Wild West, and he'll just for real punch you, <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. Anywho, we already did a crumb on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Max, well, I, let me let me say this first. Hannah, mm-hmm. you have watched a good amount of this TV series. Yes, I was about to say, after our Wild Wild West episode, where I said, I think I'm going to buy those DVDs. I did. And then I watched a solid season and a half before I moved, and my life just, like, crumbled to bits. And then I lost track of it. So coming back to it today was, like, a real treat and a pleasure. And I'm going to keep going. So the two episodes that we watched for today for the listener are uh, the pilot, which is entitled uh, The Night of the Inferno. And then upon Hannah's recommendation, also the season two episode, The Night of the Green Terror. Uh, so let's start out with the pilot. Hannah, could you give us sort of a, a rough summation of what occurs in the pilot of the Wild Wild West? Oh, sure. I think that the summation I have is too intense, so I will trim it down. Be intense. You're good. <laughs> oh, no. I, I would prefer not to. The, the pilot is kind of light on plot, <laughs> I would say, actually. So President Grant enlists the help of Jim West and his delightful partner, Artemis Gordon, and their very cool train to defuse an explosive plan to ignite war between the U.S. and Mexico by a guy they're told is named Juan Manolo, (laughs) who has been bombing towns all over the Southwest. So they go to one of these towns, and Jim West meets an Asian man who says, I can help you find this Juan Manolo. Go talk to the lady who owns the gambling house. His name is Lydia, and she's pretty, and she and West used to be lovers. Um, but now she's here, and maybe she's messed up in some bad stuff. So then there's, like, 20 minutes where Jim and Artie, like, investigate the bombing to little effect. They eventually find a bunch of munitions underneath Lydia's house, and Jim is like, girl, what? And she's like, I didn't know anything about it. And it, she did to be fair, she did not. <laughs> At which point, Juan Manolo shows up, takes everybody prisoner. Jim busts out using a gadgetry. They capture Manolo, blow up the munitions, return to the train. At which point, their Asian compatriot shows up and is like, actually, I was Manolo the whole time, suckers. Jim West beats him at a game of pool kills him using the train stuff, and uh, they ride off into the sunset, (laughs) is a very cursory summation of the pilot. No, I think a very good summation. (laughs) Now, Max and I watched these episodes together, being that we're approximately in the same location. (laughs) And Max, do you want to talk a little bit about Artemis Gordon? (laughs) Yeah, he's he's the first note I have. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I didn't write any notes when we were watching it, but I, I, I scrambled together. And the first thought that rolled out of my mind, Artemis Gordon, dot, 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 schmuck. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, he doesn't do anything that Artemis Gordon yes. in 1999 did, um, except we were we were talking about this, Andrew. He still might be a master of disguise. He does disguise himself in one of the episodes which made me think, okay, maybe he's still handy. Um, however, 
The actor who plays him, uh, forgive me, what is his name? Ross Martin. Ross Martin. Great comedic timing, great actor, so kind of saves it a little bit, but it's just, you can't watch the one in 1999 with Kevin Klein as Artemis Gordon and then just go back to this one. Mm-hmm. That's just it, significantly less interesting, in my opinion. And I don't mean to shit on this Artemis Gordon, because I think it's well acted. Um, and he is funny. He is. I get the feeling that this is one of those 60s TV shows that was like, this is about a leading man and maybe there's a sidekick. And then as the show developed, they were like, no, it's about both of them. People like both of them. And so, like, I get the feeling. And even throughout the first season, which I did watch all of, I do think that Artemis, like, gets more to do and is more active in the proceedings than he is in the pilot, which I agree is, like, not an exciting time for him. Yeah, he feels way more involved in um, the other episode um which is in the second season right i um Mm -hmm. yeah okay hannah when we started that episode we're like okay in our mind we've got a clear delineation of who from the movie of who jim west is and who artemis gordon is jim west is like the leading man he does a lot of the action he sort of has the swagger artemis gordon is his like sci-fi steampunk (laughs) goofy comedy sidekick we start up the pilot and Jim West comes in, and he's got swagger, and he is this like sexy, you know. He he's he at is least not the show wearing tells a shirt. Us he's good at fighting, even though the fighting doesn't look great. And um, he, then he teams up with Artemis Gordon, and we're like, oh, okay, here comes like the the cue to the bond, like that sort of element. And they're on the train, the the train that will be brought back in the movie that has all the gadgets, but. The thing that flabbergasted me is Jim West is like, of course, here we are on my train with all of my gadgets, because in addition to being the leading action hero, I'm also the brain. And so (laughs) Max and I probably missed five minutes of the episode because we're just talking to each other going, what is he doing? So that's his train? Why is he here? Uh, Yeah, I do think it is so weird that in that first episode, Jim West is like, here's the exploding uh, pool balls, and here's the thing, and Artemis is like, oh, whoa, crazy, man. <laughs> like, it does feel... Yeah, like, uh, they didn't totally think about, like, where are these characters gonna go? Like, what what do we want our show to be? They're just like, there's guys here? <laughs> I like the guys, but they're just present. And then after Wes describes to him the plot of the first episode. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to quell a rebellion. Gordon leaves for a while. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You would be forgiven watching that pilot, you know, if you thought that he was not a primary cast member until 30 minutes in. Yeah. I mean, this is the same as the man from Uncle does the same thing, where they're like, this is about one guy, and this other guy, he's present. And then by the middle of the first season, they're like, no, everybody loves the other guy. we got to bring him in more. And it just, like, <laughs> blossoms. I mean, sometimes you just have to admit that what people want is friendship. It's not one singular guy. One singular guy. Oh, I know one. two guys who want one singular guy. <laughs> um, because <clears throat> Juan Manolo is the uh, villain yeah. of the pilot, again, for the listener. Yeah, let's talk about the plot of this pilot. So, Max, what what did you think of the of the thrust of the story in in the pilot of the Wild Wild West? Not to keep saying like we watched this together, uh, but like <laughs> I just I found it funny 
we were high five. I'm sort of no. Well, we're, I'm sort of watching this, and you're like, "Hmm, isn't it weird that, <laughs> like, we're totally meant to believe that our government is good in this time, and it totally works out for this time period, right?" And then it's like we're watching it today in this 2022 setting, and we're just like, "Oh God, this is aged horribly, horribly, horribly." Um, <laughs> in many ways. I mean, I'm pretty charmed by this show, but every episode has brown face in it yes. to some capacity. Yeah. Oh my god, yes. And the, I mean, we were just on the villain, Juan Manolo. Um, Juan Manolo. So I thought the craziest part of that plot twist there was uh, basically we're like, oh god, how offensive! Like a, a, a an Asian or a, you know an Asian guy being betrayed by a white man. Oh, just typical '60s Hollywood. No, it is a fake Asian man portrayed by a, <laughs> a fake Mexican, yeah, a Mexican. man. Um, this is this is the note I have written down that is really was come up like Max and I came up with this together, yes. which is villain is a white guy playing a Hispanic guy masquerading as a right. Chinese guy who sounds like an Eastern European yes. guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that actor, much beloved, returns to the Wild Wild West in at least two other episodes as different villains. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I just couldn't believe. I mean, I think the th- one thing that shocked us watching it is like, you watch a show from, what is this, This the early 60s? Mm, yeah. And as you say, Hannah, there's a lot of blackface, yellowface, manyface. And the thing I least expected was that that would be a plot point. <laughs> That a show that earnestly paints people to like be like these are Native Americans in the second episode we watch, in the first episode is like you know makes a guy or tries to say that a guy's Asian and then there's a plot point where it's like of course this is just a disguise couldn't you tell and it's like no you you legitimately use brownface <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> uh, yeah it's crazy man it's wild yeah and then like Mm. not Mm. to mention like the the (laughs) clear-cut like white guys playing native americans in that second episode there not to jump the uh not to spoil we were really losing our minds hannah how in the second episode the night of the green terror which we'll get to Mm -hmm. the the actors playing the native americans not only looked white they like looked like they looked like like white guys you would see at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah, like they just like looked like bored and tired, and they looked like they were like heading to to you know like a factory in Boston. Type Definitely of thing. one guy. I mean, we'll talk about the Green Terror when we get there, but I do want to say that I had not watched it before today, and I picked it on summary alone. Oh wow! So, okay, well, sticking sticking. With the first I didn't know that it now. was so racist. <laughs> Max's point about um the government and how the show has this unwavering belief in the u.s government i something that i find crazy about this show is that it doesn't just go oh our villains are a different race and we're going to like um demonize them it fleshes them out to a degree that almost feels enlightened and then it goes (laughs) but they're still doing evil so like Juan Manolo in the pilot episode or the guy pretending to be Juan Manolo, the specifics I, I, I've lost a little bit, but the villain basically gets a, a, a scene where he goes, look, there is land that was taken by force 
by the U.S. government from the Mexican people. And it is my sole motivation to reclaim that land, which was wrongfully taken from us. And the show gives us that moment, showcases that, and then goes, now watch him knock this fucker down. I mean, that's a, an interest one, as a person who's currently living in New Mexico, that's straight up true. And the <laughs> Mexicans are in the right in that fight. Um, then when the actual Juan Manolo reveals himself, it says this guy is not in charge of anything. Um, whatever his ideals are, are not mine. I'm going to go out back and shoot him. Um, so like the guy with the morals gets summarily executed <laughs> or thrown off the train. <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, and our true villain, I think, does not have the same moral motivations. Mm-mm. So for the listener, there's a, a, a man that is suspected to be the villain in the pilot. But then, of course, the the person pretending to be a Chinese man is, right. in fact, wait, the I'm, villain. So what ha- Wait, what happens to him? I'm sorry. Wait, I missed that. So the, the guy who is presented as Juan Manolo. Jim West arrests him and brings him onto the train and has him tied up and stuff. And then I think under the Asian guys, that character's name is Wing Fat. Oh, uh, Shows up and is like, "Uh, it's me. I am Juan Manolo. They bring out the fake Juan Manolo. And Wing Fat says like, "Uh, this guy's useless. I'm done with you. Take him out back and shoot him pretty much. And then they do. Okay, yeah, I did not remember what happened to the fake Juan Manolo. Sorry, 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 folks. I mean, to be fair, I watched it twice (laughs) within the past three hours. Sure. (laughs) Now, Hannah, you were saying Mm -hmm. that this when I commanded you to rewatch the pilot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that you you did it with one of the commentaries. Yeah, I did how, it how with was that? the Robert Conrad commentary, which was kind of fun in that he kept getting caught up in the show and forgetting to talk for a while. Then be like, oh, I just think this is good. This is a good one, right? <laughs> I, I, got, I got interested. He also has so many stories about doing his own stunts, just nonstop talking about doing his own stunts and how like the stunt performers were great. He has nothing but nice things to say about everybody, which is very nice to hear. Um, he does tell a story where basically like Ross Martin says to him, like, look, I do the acting here. You do the stunts. That's how this works. Which he tells wow. us like a charming haha, And I was like, that man hated you. <laughs> That's a mean thing to say. <laughs> he also tells a story which is awful and does not reflect well on him at the very end of the episode he's like sometimes people ask me about the movie i didn't see the movie seemed bad they took our thing and they did something else with it and that's not the wild wild west or whatever and then he says i was coming out of dinner one night and i passed will smith and his wife and i said will you know you played me in a thing that's weird huh and will smith said oh no i i don't think of it that way i reinterpreted it and you know took it on And then apparently Robert Conrad said to him, well, I hope you look forward to my next movie where I reinterpret Martin Luther King Jr., which is horrific. And And to be fair, this is not only a thing that occurred, it's something that Conrad felt the need to retell. Yeah, terrible. (laughs) And like, he's like, he reports that Will Smith kind of smiled and, and moved on. And someone else in the restaurant overheard the conversation and said... God, I wonder what that was about. Which Robert Conrad includes in his telling of the story. It was. Oh my God. The fact that wild. he's going through life being like, one of my greatest owns <laughs> is when I was mad racist to Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's. 
he comes across as like a kind of charming old man and then you're like oh old man racism there it is he (laughs) seems so unhappy that will smith played that character well i was gonna say is he kind of a rick dalton type of uh type of guy i mean i i know he's the guy who brags about doing all his own stunts and what have you and he's even featured in the uh the book and and talked about like crazy but i mean does he have any sort of rick dalton influence there i mean is there is there anything there i don't think so i mean robert conrad very much also is like look i wasn't a good actor when i made this show i learned and i'm much better now and i wish i could go back and work with some of these actors Mm. like he seems pretty like self-aware on that front (laughs) i mean he doesn't he doesn't come across as like a terrible obnoxious person which many people could on commentaries Mm -hmm. he's just not someone i'd want to spend like a weekend with also max just to call you out the like Rick Dalton's sole trait is that he doesn't do his own. No, stunts. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess I guess I asked I guess I asked that, and then as I, I was asking that and being like, well, he doesn't do his own stunts, and then I just started breaking it down, and then by the end of my question, I think the answer was he's really not like Rick Dalton at all. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I think the answer but, is that Ross Martin was like Rick yeah. Dalton, took it very seriously, did not do his own stunts and was more about his acting career Mm -hmm. and being taken seriously as an actor. Am I correct that at the beginning of this pilot, there has not been a violent act committed by the villains? No, they blow up a town. Oh, they did? Yes. Okay, okay. That makes it a lot better. I must have missed that line or dialogue or something. I was saying to Max at the beginning of the episode, I was like... They're really just sending this guy in on suspicion that there might be a militia. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think the fake Manolo seemed he was doing some stuff, wasn't he? I mean, I remember feeling like, "Ooh, yeah. this guy's kind of evil." Um, I think he's rampaging around the countryside, um, burning yeah, downtowns, yeah. which is not great. It was a slow pilot, I'll have to say. Uh, <laughs> I think so too. I don't think that it is yeah. indicative of what the show is at large. No, no. I, I feel like the, again, I don't want to jump to the next episode or anything like that, but it, it's just such a different world when it's in color and um, mm-hmm. uh, you see all those like... Another thing Robert Conrad says is, quote, black and white is boring. Yes. But he was very pleased when they moved into color as well. Yeah. It feels like in the pilot that the, as we were saying, the dynamic doesn't even really come together for like two thirds of it. But once you have West and Gordon working together, there is some spark. Mm -hmm. So there's that scene where they are basically doing like detective work to figure out where this militia is like keeping their shit. And Jim West is like, oh, look, there's tire tracks going into this cemetery and coming out, but I can tell from the depth of the tire tracks that it's deeper going in. And so, obviously, they're bringing things in here to hide them. And at that point, it's like, okay, like, maybe this is the show. Maybe he's, like, kind of... Maybe he's, like, kind of a detective. Maybe he's, like, kind of smart, which I wasn't getting at all in the first 30 minutes. <laughs> and then, And then from there, it starts, like, m- mixing in real... Uh, adventure elements and and Max even said he was like if if Indiana Jones didn't come after I'd say they were ripping off the soundtrack right oh yeah <laughs> yeah oh the the score was super weird it was like it was like da 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 
da, 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 da. and it was like it was like oh it's almost there it's almost there um <laughs> yeah and there's that, that point where they're jumping over snakes oh yeah that's like too. all right yeah. well yep oh god yeah hmm maybe indiana jones ripped off the wild the wild, wild, wild west. west hmm hannah you had the um you mentioned in the plot synopsis there that basically at this point I'm talking about, when the episode really kicks into gear, they discover that the weapons are being kept in this bunker and that basically the bunker has or is connected to the basement of the 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 female lead of the episode, who I, I assume was a formal former love interest of West's from their dynamic. Yeah, they explicitly say that. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. So something that I find funny about that is it feels very old timey and the way that they're like this woman is is ex- like part of this criminal enterprise but she doesn't realize it she doesn't know at all she <laughs> just thinks those boys tough, like but... to hang out in her cellar <laughs> <laughs> yeah she tries to shoot jim west they wrestle but event i mean this is something i will say about Many of the episodes I have seen of the Wild Wild West, there's a woman who is bad. She is a bad woman doing bad things. And Jim West is like, ah, I can fix her. And then he does. He tends to, like, <laughs> do the power of, like, affection, turn bad women good. And then he's like, okay, you don't have to go to jail. See ya. <laughs> there was a run of, I, I don't have examples, which makes this a really shitty uh, just tangent to go on. But there was a run of, like, action movies i want to say in the 90s and 2000s where there were just too many instances of the one woman who worked with the villains eventually turning good and helping people and i was like even as a kid i was like this is not great (laughs) to just always be like ah every woman has a maternal instinct and is good at heart (laughs) that i think that is late 90s feminism where you're just like okay women can be bad but women are good (laughs) having to like do both like we've acknowledged women are capable of evil now flip side what if they were good that's how we vacillate on feminism forever (laughs) yeah i'm trying to think where the episode goes from there where they're in the cellar and he like confronts the woman i guess then he's just with he just has his manolo off right pretty much i mean pretty much I, i mean this is an episode that has like a lot of process in it like mm-hmm. the Jim West putting on all of his guns and putting his knives in his coat. Yeah. That's like five minutes of episode. And then when they they get caught in the bunker thing and Manolo puts them in a cell and Jim West is like, okay, I have a smoke bomb and a lock pick. Give me a second. That's like five minutes of him like getting these things set up. So it, I do think it's light on plot and not a lot happens. But, you know, we're getting steeped in the world. We have to, I guess I have to be shown every step of, like, pulling a knife out of your boot. Right. It, it definitely feels like the show's going to be MacGyver after that first episode. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do think, uh, just to criticize the pilot, which I think we, it feels like we all think that's the weaker of the two episodes, right? Oh, I think d- so. definitely. <clears throat> yeah. It, I think it just does a poor job of establishing what everyone's thing is and what everyone's function is. You know, I can't tell you after watching the pilot, like, Jim be like this, but Artemis be like this. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. They fight for the government, I think. Like, I don't know. It and, and the fact that they're introduced, I mean, a key part of a lot of pilots 
is the moment where the characters find each other. Right. And that tends to, like, inform their relationship throughout the the years of the show. The fact that when Artemis Gordon walks in in this pilot, Jim's just like, we're buddies. I know your whole deal already. How you doing? Oh, you got to go? Go, go, whatever. It's like, it just, it all tastes like water, you know? They don't have to get to know each other, so we have a hard time getting to know them. Did he pretend to be someone in the beginning of that pilot too, Artemis Gordon? Like, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he is a master of disguise of some sort, huh? It's like they kept... He he does multiple disguises like... For fun, it seems like yeah. when he's in the town investigating, I'm like, you're in a disguise for no reason. No one knows you here. <laughs> I love it for him. Like, that's drama. That's pizzazz. Yeah. Hmm. Would have been nice if he got the invention, inventor side. Uh, whatever. Gordon, is it Gordon or West? One of them has that amazing line at the end of the episode where the, the real Juan Manolo has been found out and maybe has already been stabbed or is about to be. And he's like, Juan Manolo's like, yeah, you know, when the U.S. government uh, is looking for essentially domestic terrorists, they're not going to look at a, a rich Chinese man who's recently immigrated. And either West or uh, Artemis Gordon's like, we, we, we did look for that. We found you. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, really, really a pilot that I felt like came together in like the last ten minutes. Yeah, once they're on the train again, I think it's fun. So, which and, for the listener, yeah. the, the the like showdown between Manolo and our heroes happens on the train from if you've seen the movie the like gadget train mm-hmm. uh which, which was is briefly introduced earlier yeah gadgets and and the and the most fun gadgets of all guns <laughs> there are guns tons of guns uh, but i do think like once they're back on the train and they're like we'll play pool for the lives of my oh, friends yeah. And then Jim is like, okay, but this pool is an excuse for me to use the exploding pool ball and also the knife pool cue and also the the scorekeeper that explodes and also... The puka shells. It's fun! The puka shells. That's what I was going to say. Max Max is like... Max and I are watching this and he's like, wasn't it suspicious that there were puka shells on the ceiling to begin with? (laughs) Well, what did they do? Oh my god, the practical effects. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the V1 that happens in in that in that second episode we watched. Um or we could just mention it now where literally uh something just like gets thrown like an explosive gets thrown one way and oh. the, the effect goes off in a completely different direction and you're just like yes what there's like that? a bomb thrown in one direction in the second episode and then like it gets thrown to screen yeah. left and then on screen right the explosion comes That was in. <laughs> the only time we had to rewind, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was also we'll get to that part right. of the episode, but that is really built up. And so for it to pay off in sort of a limp way, we were like, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That can't be how that how that's gonna go. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 whole thing with the the villain in the pilot episode was just really fascinating and strange, I thought. And th- just to go back to this <laughs> The fact, not, like I talked earlier about how the the brown face thing is inconsistent, but it's also confusing because when they reveal that he's pretending to be Asian, you as the viewer are like, ah, yes, of course, because he's clearly a white man. <laughs> and they're like, no, he was the Hispanic villain all along. It's like, what, or what is this show? 
1965, baby. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. It seems like we want to talk about the Night of the Green Terror. Yeah, to transition, I do want to say that between the pilot and Night of the Green Terror, the show starts to find itself in a way that's like, I you know, much clearer. That like, a lot of the villains are basically like future people. They're like, not they exist in the 1870s, but they're like, hello, I've invented an invisible suit. I've invented a, you know... I texted Andrew about the one right before Green Terror on the DVD as a guy who has essentially invented the torpedo and the submarine in successfully. <laughs> and he's like, someday my inventions will, you know, make it. And that's a lot of villains he's, are like... Hannah, he's trying yeah. to figure it out. He's like, I know one goes inside the other, but it's like a submarine inside a giant <laughs> torpedo. No, he has like a very low boat with a, one of those, you know, sea uppy devices um periscope periscope thank you um, see uppy and his torpedoes are like shaped like dragons and they float on top of the water but they have propellers and they're he's like someday we'll get them totally under the water and it'll be a game changer like these are people who have like futuristic ideas living in the 1870s doing crimes which i think is pretty fun and definitely like takes away the like complicated politics of the pilot where like these are not time period realistic villains whatsoever they're a bunch of eccentric weirdos doing weird nonsense around the country and jim and artemis have to like figure out how to stop weirdos as opposed to crush justified rebellions well it's it's worth saying too that the pilot of the show has almost no sci-fi element Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It is gadgetful. Yeah, it is. You know, you know. Jim West has booby traps. He has a, a pool cue that's actually a sword. He has stuff like that. But the the stuff from the movie, which seems to also creep in as the show goes on, where it's legitimately like there's like robots and there's <laughs> you know all this stuff. It's just completely. The pilot just seems kind of like a zany western. Yeah. There is an episode where they're in this weird town and some alien girls show up and are like, hey, we're from Mars. And what we need to get our ship moving again is gold and jewels. And the town is like, we'd love to give you gold and jewels. And Jim and Artie have to be like, I don't think you should give these girls gold and jewels. I I don't doubt that they're aliens, but let's think about it. <laughs> they, they don't they don't turn out to be aliens. No, right? no, they are definitely human women pretending to be aliens to rob. But like Amazing. The 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 show is like, yeah, this could happen here. We all believe in it. It's fun. Just like as a level of outlandishness. And then we have the Night of the Green Terror, which is very outlandish. I think I think the the plot uh embellishments, the the sci-fi that creeps in in season two, plus the literal uh, blossoming of color is it just injects a lot of life. Both of those things mm-hmm. together. Um, now, Max, I, when when Conrad first came on screen in the second season episode, you did say out loud, you're like, color is not doing this man any favors. No, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. He looked so He's much younger. tan and, and leathery. And yeah. Um, his pants are also a lot tighter <laughs> by the second season. Yeah. Which I just I, think is important to mention. They, they just look so much, like, both both of those guys look just so much older um, once <laughs> that, that, yeah, the color hit them. Um, uh, I mean, you know, nothing, 
nothing wrong with it. You know, he's still a handsome well, guy. Uh, but uh, people love to point out, you know, back in the day, there's all these movie stars who are super talented and they just look like dog shit, right? <laughs> like, you know, no offense to the king, George C. Scott, but like Exorcist Three, George C. Scott, that's not happening these days. Yeah, you know, like yeah. It, 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 which I get partially because transitioning from the pilot of the wild wild west to a season two episode did make me go you know it it just shows that a lot of things that used to seem youthful like in black and white when put in color they are evidently attempts at youthfulness yeah right like the way that jim west is made up and the way his hair is done when you see it in color it's like oh this is like a this is like a man in his you know late 30s trying to look like a young buck right i don't think he i don't think that timing is accurate to be honest i think people late 30s you mean yeah i think he was like early 30s okay well, oh wow i mean let's look it up but he doesn't look as good as let's me see. he was born in 1935 so by the second season he was 32 Oh, okay. No so way. He's a, a young guy. I think there is a thing where, like, the transition from black and white to color in television as a whole came with, like, a whole bunch of new challenges that it really took TV a long time to figure out, like, how do we make people not look waxy and weird? How do we make colors look real and normal instead of crazy? Or if we yeah. want them to be crazy, like, we got it. How do we make that happen? Because um, so much of the Wild Wild West, like, the dual tone suits, which I love... I kind of think they were probably aiming for a slightly more muted color and ended up with something batshit bright. And I think that goes right. to skin tones and like makeup styles and Yeah. Also on the commentary Robert Conrad says I never wear makeup on TV, so maybe that's part of the problem. Oh yeah. And it was the 60s too, so his his diet was probably like coffee and cigarettes and like that was, <laughs> yeah, that steak was and beer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to stand up for Robert Conrad. I think he's a good-looking young guy. He no, he is. I, I think he's like handsome and hot. I did confess he was a really good-looking guy in the the first episode, and and Andrew was like, "Yeah, he kind of looks like Clint Eastwood." I was like, "Yeah, definitely, definitely has that." Well, look. specifically, Max was like, "He looks like Clint Eastwood," and I was like, "No, Max, he doesn't look like Clint Eastwood. He looks like dirty hair." Oh yeah, he looks okay. like well the That's hair. Right. Yeah, the thing is, I think he looks like Scott Eastwood. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah. A slightly lesser Eastwood, who I like a lot for no reason at all. But I also think Scott Eastwood would do a good job of this kind of Jim West. I need, Hannah, I have no idea how we fit it into the premise of the podcast, but I at some point just need a Wrath of Man episode. (laughs) Does it not have a novelization? No way. No way does a 2020 Jason Statham movie have a novelization. I'm looking it up. Well, speaking of looking it up, I look... He looks just like Scott Eastwood. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, big fan of Scott, my lame darling. <laughs> In case it never happens, just the one Wrath of Man thought I want to get out there. <laughs> yeah. So weird that that movie is like, we've got a villain with a milky eye, like some sort of eye condition, possibly a fully blind eye. We've got a hero with the same thing going on or some other sort of eye condition. This is not relevant at any point. We draw a lot of attention to it. We have a lot of close-ups on these guys' faces, but there's never a twist about them being, like, related or the same person or anything. <laughs> and I don't mean for this to come off as ableist. I just fully think that the language of Wrath of Man is like, look at this. This is interesting, huh? 
both of them. Mm. I would really love to hear like why Guy Ritchie decided Scott Eastwood needed to have a a, a milky eye with like a scar. Like right. it's not like Scott Eastwood looks so nice you have to mean him up. Or that he looks so <laughs> gentle that you have to give him a little edge. You know, like, he looks like a guy who could play a jerk villain in a movie. I, I don't understand why that's necessary. I think it is a bad use of Scott Eastwood, but we don't have to get into my many thoughts about Scott Eastwood today. This is possibly a cruel use of my hosting powers. <laughs> but before we have Hannah recount the plot of the the Night of the Green Terror... Max, would you like to attempt to recount the plot of the Night of the Green Terror? Um, okay, so, yeah, I, I actually, I, I would love to give it a try. Um, because mm-hmm. by this time, I was really, um, hmm, like, getting lost the first in episode the show took a little the wind bit. out of our sails. Right, yeah, yeah. I, but I, sorry, I believe, um, Miguelito Loveless, uh, which is such a ridiculous name, um, is <laughs> climbing into this medieval knight-like suit, and he's basically convincing this tribe of Native Americans that he is some sort of godlike figure, and he's taking advantage of them in some way that I can't remember. <laughs> was that was that? Hannah, hit us with the plot synopsis. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, you weren't totally wrong, okay, Max. Okay. No, no, everything Doctor... you said was right. Right, yeah, right. Sure. No, yes, it is mildly incomplete, but yes. yes. It's, Hannah, that was like when I quizzed you on trying to remember Good Burger to go, and you were like, <laughs> you were like a it's man forgot his change, and that's like all you said. I was like, technically, yes. <laughs> I, I don't think I even remembered that. I'm not, not going to oversell myself. Um, basically, so indeed, Dr. Loveless is climbing into a metal suit to trick the local Indian population into thinking that he is the, the lord of the forest. Yes, okay. And simultaneously, he is posing as Robin Hood and poisoning the forest so that nothing lives and the local population is starving to death. Right. So he gets to roll up as Robin Hood for fun. And deliver food and whatever they need so that they are loyal to him and the Lord of the Forest who is providing for them so that eventually he can have a basically a Native American army at his disposal to crush the United States government and take over, which is his uh, always plan. That's yes. what he's always trying to do. So Jim and Artie have been sent by the government to communicate with the Native Americans who have basically shunned the government's help because the help wasn't help. It sucked. And Jim and Artie show up, and they're like, oh boy, Loveless is here, this is awkward, they get captured, they spend most of the episode captured. Eventually, Jim is like, hey, I want to challenge that Lord of the Forest to a duel. I'm going to fight that guy, and whoever wins. And Loveless is a guy who, at this point, they are familiar with and have beef with. Yes, yeah, he has been in three or four episodes by now, causing trouble being a scamp. Was his debut in the first season or, or this second yeah. season? He's in the first season. Okay. He has a series of sidekicks who are also like misfits and weirdos. Um, his like fun girlfriend. And then in the first season, there's a couple of episodes where he has Richard Keel, Jaws from James Bond, as his Ooh. sidekick, which is very charming. And mostly Richard Keel like picks him up and runs around with him, um, which is kind of fun. Uh, and now he just has the girlfriend and a couple other dudes hanging out. 
And he, yeah, gets captured at the end of most episodes and then, uh, I guess, escapes by time for the next one. <laughs> this one, he just escapes at the end. God bless him. This, this made me wonder, this episode, do they come, uh, Jim West and Artemis Gordon, do they come from Washington, D.C. in every episode? Because doesn't this show take place in the American West? Yeah. And they like, they're just coming. They go. So every episode, they're like, we got a problem in the American West. Let's get out there because we're currently in Washington, D.C., hanging so. with President Grant. I think but that they are wherever they, say, they were in the last episode. And then they get like a telegram that says, like, boys, go investigate this. And then they do. I think a mix of okay, both. The only reason I ask <laughs> is because they identify as being from Washington in the Night of the Green Terror. I think that's just to prove to the Native Americans, like, we are from the government, and we have been sent here specifically. Interesting. I didn't take that. I didn't take that literally. Okay. Okay. I thought they just had a f- hell of a commute. I mean, they have that dope ass train. So yeah, not a burden. Yeah, it's hard to say. The train takes them everywhere. What's yeah. that train's name? I don't remember. As Hannah says, the Loveless has been poisoning this forest, and when he reveals. The vessel by which he has been poisoning this forest. (laughs) Max and I were like, how? Yeah. Oh, God. Because he truly... Max, would you like to describe this thing Um, that he's using to poison? He's killing the insects. It looks like my grandma's perfume. Uh, (laughs) It looks like it covers one square feet. You know, know? he has access to a lot Um, of tiny hot air balloons. So maybe he's using those to disperse a little bit mm. with the spritzer. He definitely needs, yeah, it, if, he, if he actually is doing what he shows, which is he, he produces a thing that is the size and material of like a hand soap dispenser you would have in your right. home. And if he's actually using that thing, he at least needs the priest swinging <laughs> the incense to like ropes. Yeah. Because spritzing, I don't think, is going to do the right. trick. You know, he's a technical genius, so maybe he invented a poison so poisonous that it disperses itself pretty easily. Mm, Possibly, possibly. I am, you know, I know nothing of the technology, so I am really showing my ass here. This is one of those things where you just have to take it with the grain of salt and be like, wow, he invented something bad, huh? (laughs) You know? Like, the show's not going to explain to you how it works, just that it's there and it's bad. It kind of reminded me of Batman Begins in that sense, where it's like, oh, it's just poison gas throughout the city. That's the the twist there. And it's just like, it, it, it just... And then I went down this rabbit hole of being like, did the guy from Batman Begins, like, see this episode and be like, I could take this to the next level? I can take this for No one will call me out on plagiarizing the Knight of the Green Terror. (laughs) And Loveless's big device at the end is essentially napalm, we think? Yeah, what is is that supposed to do? So that the titular Green Terror is a powder that he's going to drop from hot air balloons onto a town. And and it it sounds like, because, you know, he's been introduced in this episode as a guy who poisons. And so I thought, oh, he's going to drop some sort of poison on I the town. I also it's thought like, that. Anthrax as snow. What a cool idea. But then he sh- he has a little Doc Brown DeLorean clock tower model. Yeah, he's yeah. like, and this is how I will poison <laughs> the town. And he, he flies the hot air balloon o- above, and he's being like very particular about it. He's like, 
So the hot air balloon contains the the green terror, and and here's what'll happen. And then he just drops the entire hot air balloon, and uh. it explodes, and the town is engulfed in flames. And it's like, bro, I think this might be like the night of the orange terror, and it's a terror <laughs> we've seen many times before. It's called fire. <laughs> Forest fire. <laughs> yeah. They dropped the balloon, and I was like, ah, oh, we're going to get a puff of green smoke. Nope. Literally everything is on fire and continues to burn for the next, like, three <laughs> minutes of scene. It's kind of an amazing, like, overhead shot that they do. Yeah. On the model, you mean? Yes, on the model. Because it's, yeah, like, the yeah. whole room kind of, like, up at an angle looking down. And you have, like, the table that's on fire and, like, the, like, Jim and Artie are off to one side. And Loveless is sort of up at the top of the screen. And the Indian chiefs are off to the side, too. And you get, like, everybody for, like, a, a solid length of time while... Mm-hmm. The model burns. Yeah, the show is shot. I, I feel like the show in general is sh- the this episode is shot way better compared to the pilot, where it's like it felt like every shot, especially when they were in that cave in the first episode. There, it's like this: the camera is just set up and panning between one <laughs> location and just this big master shot and whatever. And a lot of old shows and movies are guilty of that anyway, but. Yeah, a significant pickup in, like, cinematography. And then uh, it's just a lot more beautiful to look at. It really is. Like, it's the color, it's the costumes, it's the goofy stuff. Maybe this episode really helps that, you know, costume fact, but... Yeah, maybe I accidentally picked a great one. Right, yeah, no, yeah, maybe. Um, But, no, it kind of did remind me of Batman, in a sense, the 60s show, Um where, you know, it, it, it is this colorful, fun uh, show centered around this duo, and maybe the duo is not as exciting as Batman and Robin, but they um, <laughs> they are growing together, and, uh, you know, they're they're finding, you know, they're, they're fighting crime, and, and they're finding themselves uh, every episode, so there's something to that. Well, Miguelito Loveless <laughs> is... I love his name. ...is uh, bringing a lot to the table that... Juan Manola is not right. So I mean, that's when that's I chose an episode, difference. I was like, we have to do a season two because you have to see this show in color and you have to see an episode with Dr. Loveless, both because technically Loveless is the villain of the film, although not really, as we discussed long mm-hmm. ago. Um, but also like, he's so good, like as a villain, like Dr. Miguelito Loveless is like delightful and always has a little song in his episodes like always sings a little duet <laughs> it's so cute yeah. i love him he's really going he's so for charming it. it is so funny that that uh sonnenfeld making wild wild west was like you know what's the the calling card of of loveless we gotta make sure he's got blonde hair <laughs> he does right no no he has that crazy wig that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Ken Browder has that really dark wig in that movie. And so it's so actually I'm making a completely different point, which is why the hell did they put that wing wig on Kenneth Branagh when that's not at all similar I mean, to the Loveless from the show. The Loveless in the movie is an entirely different character with none of the same anything. Right. None of the same motivations, none of the same character traits, nothing. So I think we just have to divorce those two things. Yeah. Um are they even veterans? Like, is is Miguelito? Did he fight in the war? Like, uh, no, yeah. he's definitely couldn't. Have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think so, it's worth mentioning for the listener that Miguelito Loveless is a dwarf. I I think that this is a uh, something that they maybe didn't 
need to carry into the movie, which is they decided that basically, so in the show, because Loveless's stature is what, probably, you know, three and a half feet, four feet, they, it seems to be a thing that part of the implementation of his genius, of his invention, of his technology, is that he's finding ways to be sort of Wizard of Ozing himself. And, like, mm. in this episode, he, like, is this big, scary knight. I mean, I, Hannah, you've watched more of the show. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say that that's, that comes up? Um, I think in the sense that he wants to be treated with the respect and dignity that any six-foot man would have is right. definitely a major part of his motivations. Like, I think his first episode, his deal is that he's like, I'm trying to create a world that's safe for freaks and weirdos, mm. so I'm going to make everybody a freak and a weirdo, basically. Right. That sort of uh, Moonraker situation. And then many of his other motivations are like, well, I want to be king of the world, and I want people to respect me, even though I am small. So yeah, I think, I mean, the fact that in this episode he is stepping into a six-foot knight suit of armor thing, I don't think that's intrinsic to, like, the stuff he does. But it's definitely, like, Mm -hmm. it's in the family. Yeah, I hear you. I just thought it was unfortunate, thinking now of the movie, that they decided, okay, if we're going to do this character, he has to be differently abled such that he can use invention to overcome it. I was like, is that... Is that really key to this character, especially when the movie is otherwise diverging from the TV show's Loveless so severely? Yeah, I think the ways in which the the movie Loveless and our TV show Loveless overlap are really that they are like sophisticated gentlemen who see themselves as like really like the height of knowing what's up. And mm-hmm. and all the physical stuff and all the gadgetry kind of divorces, but like the the the, the dovetail is guys who are like, well, I'm just as good and maybe better. And I'm classy and I play music and I, you know, whatever. That sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Does this make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I just got caught up thinking about how the Brana character suggests that he's going to have sex with a robot penis. I for- I just remembered that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> It's Fun weird. Movie. And meanwhile, in the TV show, it feels like Dr. Loveless is getting laid on the reg. So like he's yes. fine. Loveless, need Loveless is, 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 is inaptly named in the TV show. <laughs> that dude is... That he has dude a is, very uh, loyal is, girlfriend. Yes, very loyal girlfriend. They seem to be very happy with one another. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the Loveless dynamic in The Night of the Green Terror... The funniest thing in this episode is that, as you say, Hannah, he has poisoned the forest to kill the insects, to get rid of the food, to make it so that these people are dependent on him. And he's playing two characters, one essentially a version of himself that's like the Robin Hood, who is an emissary of what do they call him? The Lord of the Forest, which is loveless in a giant suit of armor. And the thing is that the Native American population loves the Lord of the Forest, and they do not like the little Robin Hood man. <laughs> and so it leads to these situations where the, the, the Native Americans are talking to the Lord of the Forest, and they're like, oh, we're so glad you're back. We love you, Lord of the Forest. And the Lord of the Forest is like, yeah, so how are things going with my, my guy that I've been sending? And they're like, well, we don't like him. He's super annoying. And the Lord of the Forest is like, no, what are you talking about? He's, He's amazing. A genius. He's a genius. What are you We're saying? Not with you. 
<laughs> Loveless is like a very funny character in so many ways. Like just like a, and I don't mean funny in the way that I am like laughing at him. I mean like he has jokes, you know, like Yo, consistently. Yeah. Also in this episode, he has like hay fever in the forest and then a cold and has this whole speech about like making people dependent on you. Meanwhile, his girlfriend is like, making him dependent on her in a way that is, like, funny. Yeah. It's cute. I don't know. I can't get enough of him. I think that actor is so charming and, like, very handsome and really compelling. I just really like yeah. him. Yeah, he's he's really, really great. I just, I love, like, I just love the comedy of him climbing into the suit and whatever. And, like, <laughs> um, I think there's even a moment where um, she's, like, she's, the, the, the lady's, like, Take your back shield off, or some like some, I don't know what she's like some something like that, and she's removing it, and um, and then because he can't yeah. get out, right? That's the yeah, issue. yeah, yeah. He's like in his in his big suit of armor that makes him feel tough, and then he's like, I can't yeah. get out. She's like, just take the take the friggin' back of it off, dude. You're gonna have to like slip out yeah. through the back. It's and very then, funny. Although later in the you know we should take this roughly chronologically, just run through this quickly. But there is a point in the episode where he just. The, the the Lord of the Force falls over and Loveless gets out of there so right, quick. Right. I was It's yeah. like I thought you had trouble yeah, with no, that. Um maybe only when standing definitely up. just like squatted down behind this suit that's just stacked up like like it's sleeping on its side. Like yes. he just there's no like way this. the actor actually yeah. extricated himself. Another another great uh practical effect uh used in in that episode. Um with yeah. So the the basic plot. Sorry, Max. What were no, you gonna I, say? I was gonna I was gonna say just like that weapon uh, that Jim West used. But then I was like, I, I don't know if that's where you want to go right now. So, but uh, yeah, the 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 thing I just want to make sure we don't skip. Yes, is at the beginning of the episode they uh, our heroes happen upon. Why are they looking out for this? What's going on, Hannah? Well, there is a famine, a reported famine going on within this Native American right. population. And the government have sent Jim West and Artemis Gordon to go talk to the Indians about it. And on the way there, they bump into Loveless in the forest. And then eventually they escape Loveless and go do their thing with the Indians and realize these two things are connected. Although almost immediately Loveless is like, yep, I did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he just shows up and he's like, I'm the villain. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, friends. Long time no see. It's me. They all, I mean, at this point, you've had a villain three or four times. You're friends. He's a villain, but you're friends, you know? Right. It's like, it, there's a feeling of like, well, I guess I'd rather tango with you than somebody I don't know where I stand with. <laughs> I mean, not to skip ahead, but at the very end of the episode, when they think he is definitely dead, they seem a little sad. Yes. I yes, mean, for I think sure. Artemis more than Jim West, but a little yeah. sad. The, the thing that I want to make sure we don't skip past is that pretty soon after they encounter uh, Loveless, West is captured. And there's, a, there's a, a part where he's in a teepee and he's just sort of tied up. And I could not figure out for the life of me how this trap oh, he was right. in was meant to work. So, oh, so first off, this, oh there's a weird logic that I, I feel like they're trying to like lean into like other cultures. What's with them? Where they're like, you know, na this Native American guy refuses to kill. So instead, he's going to somehow set like a, a Bond-esque trap where he's leaving 
Jim West to to die. And and to to me, it just looks like a crossbow of some sort mm-hmm. is sitting across from Jim West such that it will deploy into his chest. Mm-hmm. There is a very meaningful tracking shot where they show the front of the crossbow. They move towards the back. They move down to show the whole device as if to say, and that's how it works. And I was like, here's how it how, works, what? Andrew. Here, they, he, the Indian chief explains it aloud. Here's how okay, it great. works. The trigger is Max activated by Max and I were talking a, throughout the whole episode. Well, I mean, as you would, your friends. Same. <laughs> I mean, I watched it alone at home. So this is why I know this stuff. It's okay. Um, mm-hmm. The trigger You always, cross- guys, if you're going to start a podcast, you always need one friendless host. <laughs> it was me the whole time. <laughs> uh, whew, anyway, so the crossbow is activated by some leather wire twine sort of thing, which they have mm-hmm. soaked in water so it's stretched out. Mm. And as it dries, it tightens and will pull the crossbow trigger and shoot Jim West. That's how it works. But did they visually get that across... I, 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 you know, I, yeah. Maybe you have to have the dialogue too. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, it, I get well, it it's, now. It's a crazy. Sh- it's a crazy shot because it is so obviously in there to be expository, <laughs> but the like shot on its own you. does not expose. Yeah. And then, it, um, like the the Indian chief sets this all up, tells Jim West about it, and then is like, it's a hot day. You probably won't have to wait very long. Cut to, it is nighttime, and it still hasn't <laughs> gone off. So, you know, I mean, maybe they didn't really want to kill him. It doesn't seem like a good trap. And then Loveless enters the teepee through a drum that's in the teepee. Yeah, he has a, a bunch of little tunnels. Opens up, and he has a little tunnel. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Shows up, does a little bragging, leaves... <laughs> Meanwhile, Artemis Gordon is doing brown face yep. <laughs> successfully, apparently. <laughs> Nobody seems to catch him out as not a member of their tribe. Master of disguise. <laughs> That's right. Initially, because like he they're like there's like dancing going on and there's like a circle of men dancing and a circle of women and he's dancing with the women. And I was like, is he pretending to be a woman now as well? Yeah. So, <laughs> Hey, yeah. that's, that's Gordon territory me, from what we know. That's yeah. true. A- Andrew and I were, were really uh, <laughs> laughing about this. Cause I'm like, dude, okay. I'm sorry. But like, how does he not get figured out in five minutes? <laughs> this is a tribe. This is a family. Like they're not, yeah. they're not going to be like, Hey, um, I think there's a new guy wandering around. He seems all right. I guess. <laughs> We're not going to bother him. Yeah, Max is like, yeah. there's 20 people in this community. <laughs> yeah, and like, they're just now. acting like they've just never met this one person. Hey, give him a chance. <laughs> huh? hey, yeah. I mean, then they're doing their dancing like 10 feet away from the TP they're holding Jim Weston. Gordon goes over and like knockout gases the guards. It seems like he has like some sort of berries. He, he like has he's made basically like a something. You're in a famine. You want some berries, and then the berries or whatever they are knock them out. Mm, yes, you are correct. What a smart dude! Uh, except that he does it right within view of everybody, so they immediately <laughs> yes. come after them. They make it maybe twenty feet. Like they don't even escape very far. It was Wait, I boys. thought that I thought that West used the drum escape tunnel though, doesn't he? Oh, mate! I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe that was just me hoping he would. I don't think it's really sized for him. Oh, good. Good point. Be a tight fit. Yeah. 
I think they just went out the back of the teepee, to be honest. So somehow that leads to a duel. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> With the Lord of the Forest. Yeah. Jim West realizes that the Native Americans only respect people who can fight, and so he has to show up and be tougher than the Lord of the Forest to gain their loyalty. Sure. And the Lord of the Forest says, as the well, so we, we get a little background as to the Lord of the Forest, as in Loveless, his plan, which he's like, I've made a mace that I have into a bomb. And Max, your interpretation of this plan, I think, is my favorite, of how you thought it would work. Right. Like, like walk, walk us through what you thought was going to happen in that fight. It sounded so cool, and I was so okay. disappointed. So, forgive me, I might say the completely wrong thing and, and blow this. <laughs> no, um, go for it. There's a lot of pressure here. No, uh, I think... Max, you were so funny the other night. Do that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think um, what I was saying is um, the Lord of the Forest was going to give Jim West the explosive... Yes. Um, uh, mallet of some sort of whatever that mace it's a mace yeah a mace sorry um you're good mace or a mallet uh mace and um boy you just brought a mallet to a mace fight yeah (laughs) and i think an insufferable person would say yeah hit the lord of the forest and he would explode and the lord of the forest armor is like the batman and he um you know survives the explosion because he'll be all armored up yeah. A very mm. cool idea. Yeah. Let him That's attack cool. me with a bomb I made. I'm wearing yeah. armor. Right. Exactly. Did did you guys see uh the the Bob Odenkirk action movie? No. no. Okay. There is a part in it. Is there an exploding mace he... in it? No, no. There's a part in it that when Max said that it reminded me of this, which is he at one point just puts he has like a bulletproof glass shield. And he just puts like a claymore on the front of it and runs at a person. So he is like six inches from the bomb, but also more protected from it. I do think, I mean, the the logic of Loveless here is that he's like, I will hit him with the mace and he will explode and everyone will be amazed at my magic prowess, right? Right. So I think the other side of that works equally well and would be cooler to be like, you can't even hurt me. Because I'm a big armor man. <laughs> no, totally. It's There's like a spectacle element to it. You're mm-hmm. totally right. And then Max, how does this scene play out? <laughs> it's so disappointing. <laughs> oh, wait. Um, wait, before we do that, something that's very confusing is after that concept is introduced to us, the audience, the Lord of the Forest says, due to the fact that this is an unfair fight, two against one, I would like to choose the weapon and I choose... M- a mace. <laughs> and Jim West is like, cool, 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 cool. Two against one. Canadian doubles. Fair. Whatever. And then right before the fight, Artemis Gordon is like, of course you'll be fighting this. I'll stand <laughs> over here. And it's like, no, you should have told him that before. <laughs> so, Max, how does the exploding uh, mace pay off? I believe the, the Lord of the Force just fumbles it in a corner <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it yeah. explodes in a, an entirely different corner of the screen. Um, and there's a whole thing where he's like, you're going to offer the exploding mace to Jim West because I yeah. know he won't accept it. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to pay off. Yeah. It really just gets thrown off screen. It's so explodes. built up. It's so built up for such a clumsy thing to happen. It's just that's not what should have happened. It makes me upset. 
Uh, oh God! It, it, but really hilarious um, effect that they thought they could trick us um, on our second rewind, uh, or second, view- <laughs> sorry, second viewing, uh, our first rewind. Um, yeah, it, it, that effect is so sad, and then the way he drops it too is just so pathetic. It's just like he's, uh, and it's just like you're ready for this showdown. You're ready for it, and then you realize. <laughs> We're on a TV show budget with TV show time, and you realize there really can't be a, a good fight scene because they can't afford it um, financially but or time-wise. It's also a little... There's a there's a couple... Com- maybe it's just one conversation where Artemis is like, what if Loveless is the Lord of the Forest, same guy in a robot suit? And Jim's <laughs> like, that can't be right. The robot... The knights moves so naturally. That's, that's a human right. man. <laughs> and then they fight, and you're like... No, he doesn't. He can barely move in that thing. <laughs> like, he can't stay upright. He can't, like, if it was, like, a cool fight between the two of them and then they're like, oh, I was loveless the whole time. That would be cool. Not at all what happens. Like, that fight is over so fast and he just gets knocked over. He can't even get up again. I said to Max before the fight, I was like, how are they going to make the night scary? Because everything we've seen of him is not. He, he big, moves like he's, like, never worn armor before. <laughs> Right, <laughs> like yeah. he's like feeling it out. Um, yes, I was. I don't think I've brought this up on the podcast before. But I was born with a brain tumor. The only thing that is like a lasting effect of that is that I'm my I have like shaky hands, and so the Lord of the Forest, the way he drops the mace is like so aggressively uncinematic. It legitimately <laughs> looks like the couple times a year. That I'm just like standing in my home with a mug and then I just release it for no reason. <laughs> it's like, it's like, looks com- completely unintentional. It looks so incidental that it feels like the production didn't intend it. <laughs> yeah, you want it to, I mean, there's another maybe 10 minutes of episode left after the big fight, but you really want that to be like the big moment. And it yeah. doesn't pay off. In the aftermath of the fight. Yes. Because <laughs> we got to talk about the log, Max. Oh, the log. The log. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Loveless's brilliant escape plan, the log. Wait. Well, okay. I think it's literally their third. It's their plan C to escape. Okay. To be fair. Was there not a log in the first episode? Am I conflating my episodes? I think I felt like there was a log in the first episode, like because I remember seeing this mm. black and white like thing where they just crawled no, this log light. Was that Max? You are conflating, and I I get yeah. why this is happening. Okay, you're conflating the black and white pilot of Wild Wild West, in which that seller yeah looks black and white because it's in black and white, with the part in the the Night of the Green Terror where the bomb has already gone off, so this oh. color show is showing a completely but, gray room. Okay, but they are in like an... Un- are they in like an underground type of setting? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah because lair because, is like a, wow. an a underground tree. Wow. No, Max, I was having the same confusion. I, the, I, Hannah, am I correct about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The log is a is a green terror. So specific. Yes, this whole time... It is a major plot point. This whole time we were end. talking about the second episode, I was like... Man, we we forgot that log joke uh, in the first episode. Ah, fuck it. So know. there is a log that, f- from an interior decorating standpoint, seems to be a chair. Yeah, <laughs> in, I think so. In yeah. Loveless's lair. 
Except, someone picked this up. Except. Oh, well, upon fleeing the duel and losing, Loveless is like, I'm going to burn this forest to the ground. And he puts together a little um, balloon bomb and sends it up into the air. And Jim West shoots it down with an arrow and it falls right back into his lair and goes off. So the lair is on fire and they can't get out the front door and they can't get out the secret tunnel door. (laughs) So... So Loveless says, okay, babe, get in this log. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, get in the log. And it's like an open tube log, like one might want to climb into in a forest if you were the kind of child that I was. Um, and they both go in. And then we cut to like a burnt out husk of a lair. And Artemis Gordon is like, we can't find him anywhere, but they must be dead. <laughs> Look at this place. The thing about the log uh, is that... <laughs> It's just a log that's I, lying flat on the ground. It does I not it, it, it does not convey at all. <laughs> like it's hard to even imagine how it goes anywhere. And I think I like I'm all for like, you know, playing to the intelligence of the audience. I think we really needed like a shot of them in the corridor in the log. I yeah, I couldn't tell. Like when they were going into it, I was like, is this a fireproof log? How thoughtful right. to set that up for Are they for still in the log yeah. later right. on? Yeah, when yeah. at the, the last shot of the episode, or maybe not, whatever, when the bunny hops out of the log, I was like waiting for Loveless to crawl out of the log right. and be like, woohoo. Um, but it was a bunny, which makes me think that there is a, it's an opening to a tunnel. Yes. To, oh, it right. totally is. I just think, think maybe they just needed to show something or show, <laughs> you know, anything. Yeah. It, it the, the thing is, it just looks like, they cl- they climbed into a cabinet. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's I mean, like, maybe... Sh- I think that it is supposed to be a trick for us, the audience, as well. That, like, maybe they died in there, or... I mean, I don't... I don't know. It's mysterious. Mm-hmm. I don't think I needed the log. I think I could have gone from, like, oh, we can't get out this way, we can't get out this way. It's okay. I know what to do. Cut to nothing. And then we just have to, like, imagine that he had a plan. Because the log <laughs> confuses it so much. Yeah, the log is really confusing. I also feel like we should just explicitly describe the way that Loveless's plan backfires, which we said very quickly, is that he sends his little green terror balloon up a chute, and then it's prime, one of my favorite subreddits, Premature Celebration, where <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, the Loveless is like dancing around, and he's like, I did it, I sent the green terror up, I've won. And Jim West like has a ton of time like he just <laughs> sees the balloon going up and up and up and he's like i'll just shoot that and then and he it does. falls directly back down it's like a, a, a literal backfire um, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean a fun a fun end to the episode always fun to see someone hoisted upon their own plan you know i mean i think we must also say that there is a button on this episode where jim and Artie are like shirtless karate fighting yes well, jim is shirtless i wish that i wish that Artie took his shirt off more for equality you know i think that would be fun <laughs> um but they're like doing karate and they get a package that i was sure was gonna be a bomb but it wasn't it was a music box <laughs> just a little like we lived brag <laughs> and Gordon Gordon does a very funny thing, which is that when they when they realize it's from Loveless, he pulls a pistol out of a cabinet. <laughs> like he doesn't have it on him. He's like, I'm scared now, let me get this. And he points a pistol at a music box. It's like if that's a bomb, 
this isn't going to help. No. Pretty funny. Um, no matter what it is, a gun's not going to help because uh, it's not alive. I mean, also funny, like, they're doing karate and Artie is not good at it and Jim is just thwacking him around for fun. Fun. Then Artie's like, I will karate chop open this box. He can't do it. And Jim's like, I'll karate chop open the box. Just kidding. I'm going to untie the string and open it like a normal human being. <laughs> Hilarious. Like, there's like seven jokes in that last little button. And I was like, this rocks. The whole show should be like this. I was tickled. I was pretty charmed. I understand that this is a crumb, but I'm, I want to do scenarios. How do you feel? Do you feel about <laughs> yeah, that okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Hannah Blackman. Your community is experiencing a famine. Mm -hmm. You are mm -hmm. receiving inadequate support from the government. Cans that Elsa, are... Elsa, please. What are, what are the examples they give? Cans that are exploded. Things yeah. that are like beans that are far past expiration. You complain to government representative Jim West. And he says, I'm going to send you something far better. The next month, you receive in the mail the DVD box set of The Wild Wild West Season 1 and Season 2. Not even Would... a complete set? No, no, because <laughs> the government is still a bastard. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Would you feel sated by, uh, what was the first one called? The Night of the Inferno and The Night of the Green Terror? Um, I mean, not no, that would not feed my family. <laughs> Mm, uh, I, I, you know, I like this show pretty good. It's fun. It is not my favorite 60s TV show. Like, I don't think it's necessarily in my top five, but mm -hmm. it's pretty fun. And having come back to it now, I was like, yeah, this is good to have on in the background. And I think it can only get better. Like, I think it was canceled not because it got bad, but because it got too violent. So I think that can only be good as I continue to watch it. Mm. So I would... Mm -hmm. I would recommend it ge generally, but not to my starving family as if it were food. Mm hmm. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. and, like, if you want a TV show to, like, sate your appetite, um, you know, it's, it's probably Columbo, right? That's a cozy, hearty meal. Max, you are the owner of a gambling establishment, and you're doing okay, and... You know, one day this guy shows up and you used to date him and you're like, oh, this guy again. Last time we hung out, he stole a bunch of money from me that I had stolen first, but I still wanted it. And now he's here doing this. He causes a bunch of trouble in your life. He blows up your house mm. and says, no, babe, it's okay because I'm going to give you something better. <laughs> and it is... The Wild Wild West, those two episodes we just watched. Do you think that would make you feel better? No. A similar um, scenario, but this is maybe the show's fault. Uh, would not make me feel better about uh, my, my demolished house. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd recommend this show. Um, to just anybody um obviously there needs to be someone who's into like 60s television or like you know i i don't think it's too crazy that people would want to explore it given that like you know once upon a time in hollywood opens the doors 
to a lot of things where you want to explore 60s television and Hollywood like that. And um, if that were the case, if I were talking to someone about 60s Hollywood, I would probably bring up the show and um, talk about the two episodes that I watched, you know, and maybe recommend the show if they really asked about it but i uh, i don't know do you um, think you'll ever watch more of it no no i don't well um if it's on tv I mean, I land that's the real question like it, did it yeah. pique your interest enough that you want more at all no well no but if it's on like tv or something i might sit down and entertain myself fair yes very fair i think max you basically just said that you would only recommend the show if you were being tortured for recommendations right yeah you're like if someone was talking to me and they specifically were like 60s recommendations please um it wouldn't be my first choice right yeah Yeah. oh well i you know hey it's okay not to like a thing you know it's part of it's part of the human experience yeah no i just i think I think every time I've come on the show, with the exception of the Batman, which I think all three of us were like, yeah, go see it. Um, I think every time I've been like, no, I do not recommend this. And I just feel (laughs) legitimately bad every time I do. Uh, You gotta pick something good for you to do so you can like feel better. No, no, no. And it's not not a complaint complaint on the material. Like, throw me something good, guys. Um, I think uh, I, I, I get quality entertainment from this uh at all times i think a tough thing too is there there's no direct connection between quality of property and quality of novelization Mm -hmm. so you you at least liked the movie the wild wild west right like you you had a pre-existing relationship to it but that really ultimately has no bearing on whether the novelization is going to be good we just have no way of predicting it yeah and we see it in the other direction too i mean there's been books that we just loved way more than the movies. And, you know, there's there's no yeah. way of spotting that. Yeah. Andrew Overby. Hi. Hi. You have been captured and are tied up and you have a crossbow pointed at you that's going to shoot at you. If- How? <laughs> um, How could that happen? There's a wet cord, okay? <laughs> okay. But your captors say to you... Listen, man, we'll let you go, but you have to recommend something really interesting to us. Would you recommend The Night of the Inferno, The Green Terror, and or Wild Wild West as a whole? I would recommend The Night of the Green Terror. I generally... I mean, it was my idea to do the pilot. I mean, the, the Hannah, you were like, let's do the season two episode, which I, I think was a great choice. I just wanted to do the pilot to kind of get a bearing for what the show is going to be like, sort of where it starts, what's what its mission statement was. I think the show does a bad job of setting out its intent now that I've seen the pilot to the point where I'm like, you don't need to watch it. You could watch an episode of the Wild Wild West and be like, yes, I get it. They're fighting sci-fi villains in the past. Like, it, 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 you don't need it. So, yes, I would absolutely recommend the second episode we watched. And... uh I would. Pr- I'm probably going to watch some things in the color era, uh, but it'll be me going, Hannah, which ones should I watch? I mean, now that we've done this, you're going to get a bunch of texts from me that are like, I'm watching an episode of The Wild Wild West, where in? And then you'll, you'll get a taste <laughs> of it. You've, you've invited it. So I don't have the fervor 
to go through the series, but I would like to like see highlights. I would like the greatest hits CD of uh, the Wild Wild West. I got so, you covered. I can do that for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. The 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 endless spoils of friendship. Max Fitzpatrick, you have a podcast. What's the status? That thing coming back? <laughs> it's dead, man. Me and my dad hate each other. No, no, it's coming back. It, no, no, no. It really is coming back. Um, no, it's coming back soon. Um, uh, we talked to uh, the guy who uh, produces it, and uh, he's down. We're down. We have a lot to talk about at this point. And, uh, you know, really what stopped it literally was COVID. And then after, like, the COVID thing happened, we were like, let's just take a break it's just like let's just take. right um and then we i think we attempted to come back at one point and then just uh uh just fell flat but we're we're on our way back i do promise i mean we're at episode 98 it'd be such a shame to stop oh uh, you gotta make it to, to stop 100. there yeah exactly um mm-hmm. and that's that's coming um max are you a you're a chicago-based actor <laughs> are you hireable and how do people find you i'm hireable I'm very hireable. Uh, my information is out there. Um, MaxFitzpatrick42 at gmail.com uh, is a place to start. <laughs> like, if you know, if we're talking about like independent work, uh, then that is a place to start uh, because then we can then we can get something worked out there. Um, so, yeah. casting directors, if you want someone with the drive where they don't get around to getting an email address until 41 other people with the same name have already gotten it. This is the actor for your project. Dude, it's Jackie Robinson's number. Come on. I'm kidding. If you're casting a new Wild Wild West and you want a charming, interesting young gentleman, boy, do we have one for you. Who knows Artemis (laughs) Gordon well. Uh, No. I think you would be good at that. I think you'd be a great artist. I think you'd be amazing. I... I want to say uh, something I should have said way earlier. Speaking to Conrad's idea of, uh, or I'm sorry, Will Smith's idea of I reinterpreted your character, Mr. Conrad. I agree with him. It's like there's Mm -hmm. basically no DNA in the original series that's like, oh, sure. If this came out today, it would be Will Smith. Like they're completely, they're similar in that they have like confidence and swagger and they're, they're fun and they're whatever, but they're not like the same character at oh, all. Oh no. And that's okay. Oh. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Um, okay, to our listeners. Before we wrap up, may I make a personal appeal on this episode about a 60s television show? Yes. Okay, so my favorite 60s television show is Ironside, which ran for eight seasons. Mm-hmm. Four seasons are available on DVD in America. The Mm -hmm. last four seasons are not available on DVD in America. They're available in Australia, but I'm just not sure if I trust an Australian DVD. I just don't know what that's going to be like. So, yes, Andrew, do you have something to say? Well, I'm just offended because you texted me for Ironside DVDs and I helped you out. Yeah, you made a fun joke and that's charming, but the concept of Ironside is he's a policeman <laughs> in a wheelchair. That's the basic concept of the show. For the listener, I was, sending her, uh, I was sending her DVDs uh, starring actor Michael Ironside. Yeah, not what I'm looking for, um, but thank you, Andrew. I did appreciate the joke. It lightened my spirits. But the plea is, <laughs> if anybody out there was like, I like the TV show The Wild Wild West. Maybe you also like Ironside, and maybe you have access to those last four seasons somehow. Please reach out to me. Please let me see the rest of that show. I love it so much, and I just want to see 
another four seasons. Please. Thank you, Andrew, for letting me do that. Oh, you're quite welcome. To our listener, we have done so much for you. You owe us immeasurably. <laughs> we have This podcast hasn't even been going for a year. We've read 20 novelizations, not even to mention the tertiaries. Please rate us. Please review us. Please subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends. Uh, and here's the thing. The crumbs, they're over. Because next week, you know, you're getting the first Friday the 13th book in our, our Friday the 13th Camp Crystal Lake miniseries where we do those tertiary tomes. But that's not to say that there will never be a crumb again. There's going to be a crumb. So follow the crumbs. And here we go. <laughs> I'd hope to give Dex a kind of bat cave, but what self-respecting sidekick gets his own personal fortress of solitude? A corner inside the hangar would have to do. Still, I did experiment with a few things first. For a while, I really liked the idea of what was basically a four-story garbage bin on the outside and M.C. Escher's treehouse on the inside. Enter Dex World. Good night. Thank you.